listening to the coffee hour i'm andy bates i'm sarah golseth it is monday that means it is mental health monday with deaconess heidi gaiman in just a moment we'll dig into our our series on play looking forward to continuing that conversation thanks to concordia university wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour find out more about concordia university wisconsin at cuw.edu live uncommon good morning deaconess heidi gaiman Good morning. Good morning. Always good to be with you. And I think this is one of my favorite series that we've done. I feel playful every time I get on <laughs> the air with you guys, which is a good thing, right? That's, it, that's healthy. It is. It's it's making me think more about the role of play in um, in my life and my son's life, and mm-hmm. and also in the in the other the lives of of children that uh, that I serve at our church too. So. Uh, I appreciate that. All right. So last week we talked about play and kids. Um, and this week we're digging into play therapy, play therapy. So this is a specific treatment modality, we call it. So that means, you know, there's all kinds of different therapy available. I think when people picture therapy, they usually picture talking, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a little bit attached to the stigma of mental health. Like we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about our emotions. And that is true. That's an important part of therapy. But at the same time, that's not all we have available to us. And so just like whenever I tell people in the world out there that I'm a therapist, it's always interesting. Some people assume right away I'm talking about um, mental health therapy. Some people ask what kind of therapy. And that's always really interesting to me because a lot of times that means people assume like physical therapy or speech therapy first. And so people know that there's these different therapies available, but even within the realm of mental health therapy, there's a lot of therapy available, different different specialties, different things that work better. We know from research with different diagnoses or different struggles. And so play therapy is not necessarily specific to kids. Okay, so that's one important thing about play therapy is there are play therapists that will utilize techniques or play-based therapies uh, throughout the lifespan. That said, um, play therapy itself is usually for kids at about 10 and under is the most common age groups, I think, that we see play therapy utilized for. And so there is a certification for actual play therapy itself. So if you're looking for a play therapist, you can go online and Google certified play therapist, and that's a specific group of people. There are other people like myself who are not certified in play therapy, but have gone through training to learn how to use play as a resource for therapy itself. And so I use a lot of play-based strategies in my therapeutic methods with kids. And so uh, you'll see uh, there's very specific ways that play interacts. And then there's also like a broad range of ways that therapists just might use play to also engage children in therapy, because usually you're not gonna bring a five-year-old or a seven-year-old into therapy and say, let's talk about our feelings. You know, that that may not be something that they're interested in or want to engage in. Um, and so you might offer anything from Legos while you're talking to a child about what, you know, their life is like and what's going on with them. But then there's also strategies that we use more specifically. So play therapy is, like we said in our episode last time, uh, 
an entire treatment modality that was created because we understood through research the place of play in children's lives as a primary way of understanding the world around them. And so we understand that children's first language is play before they even can uh, talk or give words or describe their emotions or their thoughts. There is the place of play. And so I think that in some of these episodes, we have all shared some of our dorkiness in what we enjoyed <laughs> playing with as children, or maybe even enjoy today when we get to engage with other kids or our own kids. Um, and so I think you can start to see um, when you were a child, there was a reason why uh the cold creek water, Andy, you had shared, attracted you, or going into nature and just being able to discover and play survivor, if you will, was attractive <laughs> to you um, in processing the world around you. The same is true for uh, myself and liking to play school or house. You know, I come from a blended family. And so that means that there was a lot of questions for me as a kid as to why my family looked maybe a little bit different than other families or why my sisters uh, came and went every couple of weeks to another household and things like that. And so I know that that was really alive in my play. And that's one reason why house and playing house was so comforting for me, because I could begin to understand how all of that worked. And then we then as adults help children gain some language for those things. Um, and so that's kind of play therapy in a little bit of a nutshell. Um, the, the main benefit is helping children process the world around them and understand it, understand it. So would you like to hear what happens in a play therapy session? Or do you have some questions before I get into that? I was just curious, is, is play therapy something that is applied across the board, um, no matter what the situation is? Or are there certain situations where play therapy is, is more useful than others? Oh, that's really good. Um, that's part of that is a question I'm not entirely qualified to answer. Like sure. there might be some research that I haven't checked into that says that uh, it has recently be found to be very useful for this particular thing, like anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we do know uh, that with childhood diagnoses that are pretty common, like um, attention deficit or hyperactivity uh, with some tr child trauma, those are things that we know are well-researched that play therapy is very effective for. Um, but there might be some new ones, like I'm saying. But there also is a space for play therapy for any child. There's even a kind of play therapy that I will teach people um, and I was especially trying to do some of this work in Haiti because it translates cross-culturally really well, mm -hmm. um, called uh, filial therapy. You can Google it. Uh, it is a kind of play therapy that you teach parents to do with their children. Uh, and so that's really helpful because it's empowering in the relationship between parent and child, but it also takes down the cost of therapy, right? Not everybody has a lot of resources available. And so... In filial therapy, you basically help parents find a half hour of time each week for a certain period of time or so to engage in their child with play with very few rules. So the child gets to make up a lot of the rules. And that's an important aspect of play therapy. Whenever a child enters a play therapy room or a play-based therapy situation, we want to give that child as much control as possible while still maintaining their safety. You know, children 
don't always know what they should do that's good for them. (laughs) And so there are some rules and those are associated with their safety. You know, we don't hurt ourselves or other people. Um, But play therapy is also not the place to correct a child if you do not have to. So it's not the time that I'm going to tell them, um, so we don't use weapons for that. Instead, play therapy can be pretty uncomfortable for adults sometimes because we allow children to have a space to express things that have happened to them, things that maybe they should not have had to deal with or been in contact with, maybe some ways that they see the world that might not be a cognitive lens that we want them to have long-term. But play therapy basically believes that they need to work that out first, and then we work on how we want to contextualize that and how we want to verbalize it. So there's very little talking in play therapy. So this is a really useful therapy for uh, kids and very young kids, uh, people who might have some cognitive disabilities and stuff, that it's hard to verbalize some things. uh, Because at its base level, play therapy says, do not talk if you do not have to. (laughs) So I'm not going to explain things to children when they're playing in play therapy or play place therapies. Instead, I'm going to let them do their magic, if you will, their work of processing uh, the things that happened to them and the way that their world around them works that they don't understand. And there is a basic belief in play therapy that kids will basically work out from inside their system all of those anxieties and fears and frustrations and put them on the outside and that will help them be able to then deal better you know in the next week and the next week and the next week with all of that stuff because they don't have it raging internally for them does that make sense i think so yeah i think so um so We've talked. We've been talking about play therapy specifically in terms of kids. Are there ever times where it's appropriate, or some form of play therapy is appropriate for anyone older than a kid? <laughs> yeah, I think this is where play-based therapy comes in because while it's not strict play therapy, I use different aspects of play all the time when I'm working with a client. So there's a lot of imagination involved in therapy, right? Even when mm-hmm. we talk about future template planning, so like what what would you rather have happen in that situation is a common therapy question. And in my opinion, that's a play question. Uh, You get to dream up and imagine things. Uh, A lot of therapists will ask the magic wand question, we call it, where if you could wave a magic wand and have something be different, what would you choose to be different? Uh, There are aspects of play in that and inviting someone to use their imagination that maybe they don't have the freedom to do in their vocations um, at home and at work and things like that. And so I definitely think there's aspects. There's also like the gestalt method of therapy deals with parts. So recognizing that there's parts of you, like the internal child that might be trying to um, share with you kind of what they need, or there's parts of you that feel one thing or another part of you that feels something else that feels contradictory. And so those are playful ways for people to imagine their internal spaces and and what's going on inside there that without that invitation, they may not do. You know, it feels really uncomfortable to be like, so my inner child is telling me that, you know, (laughs) so it's an invitation in therapy uh, to be a little bit playful about the way we imagine our internal communication systems working. So I definitely think there's parts to that. And we're going to talk about sand tray, I think, after the break. And that's another space that I've seen work 
well with a little bit older kids even. Um, or I, I do know therapists that use it with adults. Now you have to have some really uh, open-minded adults who are ready for a little bit of adventure when you talk about that. But yeah, that's a good question, Andy. I think it really depends on the client, especially in what they're willing to um, adventure into, as well as the therapist. You know, how adventurous are they? And are they willing to open that um, to believing that their adult clients are capable of a little bit of play? I, I mean, I I tend to talk more freely when I have something in my hands, whether it's a paper clip or a uh, or or Play-Doh, you know, <laughs> to to have something in my hands. So, well, let's talk more about that. Um, things like the things you might use in play therapy, whether it's toys or, or other items as well. Let's talk about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. It is Mental Health Monday. We're checking in with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman and uh, more on the way. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We're checking in with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, continuing our series on play. Today, we're digging into the topic of play therapy. What does that look like? And who is it? Who might it be helpful for? And uh, before we went to break, we were talking about it, it could be some aspects of it might be useful for adults as well um, or, or older kids, because uh, quite often we think of play and play therapy. I think what comes to mind is usually just young children, but it, there might be aspects of it that are useful for others, helpful for others as well. And started to uh, get into the topic of um, what what you might use, whether it be toys or something else that, that might be helpful in play therapy. Uh, where would you like to go with that, Heidi? Yeah, I think you brought up a really great point right before the break that uh, using your hands can be really helpful when you're processing, especially some really deep stuff. I mean, therapy can easily make us uncomfortable, you know, when we're, uh, we know there's things we want to say, or even when it's a really safe space, uh, there might be some tears or some anxiety that we're trying to cope with. And so there is this other aspect of play that we, especially with adults and adolescents can use, which is some kind of fidgety things, um, offering, uh, like you mentioned, like stress balls or Play-Doh or a lot of art therapy methods can be used with many different ages. And that has a playful, expressive aspect to it. Um, there's some photo therapy methods where people bring in some different photos and you look at them and talk to them and maybe arrange them in different ways. That can be really helpful for different age groups. Um, and so there's so many tools to be used in therapy. I just want everyone to know that when you walk into a therapy room, there might be a lot of talking, but there doesn't have to be. There can be a lot of other things going on that can help 
all of us express what we need to express and really work that internal anxiety, maybe internal sadness and different things going on into an external form so that we can be released of those things that burden us. You know, Martin Luther talked a lot about this concept. I never can pronounce it. It starts with an A. It's like afutong or something like that. Um, Unfechtung. Thank you. Why (laughs) didn't I just ask Sarah? There you go. Um, Thank you, German expert. But it's this idea of not just suffering, but it's about suffering in a broken world that includes anxiety and that includes just the wrestling and the frustrations that we experience. And I think that that is the work of therapy that play can really impact the most. Just this fact that we live and it's really hard to process everything that we live with and struggle with. Uh, And so I really appreciate Luther's vantage point of that. And I think play therapy methods and being playful in therapy can be really helpful for people. So you're right, Andy, like you said, we have a lot of different tools that we use. When you talk about play therapy itself, especially with young children, there's a certain list of toys that a therapist should have available. Um, And you can find a list, I'll send a link and uh, Sarah can put it in the show notes too at the University of North Texas, like I said, and their center for play therapy that explains a lot about play therapy. But it's kind of fun. Um, Anything from obviously dolls and things that are family expressions to, having some crayons and things like that, building blocks, Play-Doh, or pipe cleaners, I know Andy mentioned (laughs) before too in our play episodes. These different things, instruments can be really helpful, Uh, dress-up clothes, uh, play food, which I have a love affair with play food that's out of this world. And so I always love when kids get out the play food. Um, And then- Power tools. Power tools. (laughs) I mean- there should be some pretend tools or toy oh, soldiers. Oh, pretend. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no real drills. We were, no. We're not going to bring those out and play their Chainsaws. Yes. No, that would be terrible. No. But here's the reality. It makes a lot of adults uncomfortable that mm-hmm. some of the play therapy tools do include things that we don't want children to have a relationship with. So it's really important that play therapy includes handcuffs or uh small guns uh, that are pretend uh, and um, things like chainsaws, which sounds like these sound really ridiculous that you would need to have these things available for a kid. Uh, The reality is, is that the world is really hard and some children's worlds are very, very hard Uh, and they got a double dose of trauma in their lives. And so we give them in play therapy and play-based therapies a space to kind of work that out, some of their experiences um, in their hearts and minds. Otherwise, they're tucked up in there and they don't have a space to share the hard things that have happened to them. And so we want to be able to give that to kids. The other piece of that is that the world itself is hard. And so a kid may not have an experience with guns in their own life, praise the Lord, but that might be the reality that they hear on the news. That might be something they hear other kids talking about. And so we want to be able to have them have a space where they can process that. And maybe even sometimes kids will ask questions. Um, But like I said, we don't usually do a lot of talking during play therapy to help kids understand it. And that's another thing that bothers adults. (laughs) We as adults like to believe that we can give kids the answer. And sometimes that's really true and important that we can help answer their questions with education. But sometimes kids also just need to be able to say, hey, this world is hard. And one way they do that is by playing. 
and playing the things that are kind of hard. There's also another play therapy toy called a, a Bobo doll or a bop bag are common terms for them. And that's like the guy that you punch and he jumps back. Like he's <laughs> like plastic and blown up and stuff. Um, and so there are kids that I've seen in play therapy that they their real life is people hurting them, whether that's physically or emotionally, um, kids that have been bullied or have had child abuse in their past. And they just need to believe that they have some power and control. And if you just give them a few sessions of being able to be in charge in that space while still keeping them safe and keeping everyone safe, then we move on to education. I think you can probably see pretty easily how that would be a powerful thing is giving the kid a sense of control when that's been taken from them by the adults in their lives or by the evening news, you know, that's the world we live in. And so play therapy can be really, oh, sorry, there's my <laughs> There's puppy therapy. There you go, right? And that's a real aspect too, another tool we can use. So do you guys have any questions about those kind of elements of play therapy uh, before we talk about sand and how fun sand is in therapy? I'm very interested in hearing about sand. I think I think it's it's so interesting uh, to to pull in all of these aspects that we as adults may not um, think about, uh, but that are useful for kids to have these things at their disposal to to work through things. Um, yeah. But I really do want. To, I'm I'm now researching uh, a play supply uh, and toys, and there's like this whole category on sand trays. So I'm I'm really curious about what what the sand tray is. Right, right. Well, and I do want to preface and also follow up all of that discussion of the tools available with like, do not try to do therapy on your own. You know, if you're not a mental health professional, like do not pretend to be offering therapy for the children in your lives. Like that's not a good idea. Um, but at the same time, we can have mindfully built uh, toy spaces for our kids and knowing that there's a lot of different things in the world around them and giving them kind of some space. I think a lot of parents wrestle with like whether their children should have Nerf guns. And that's a good question, you know, uh, not an ad for Nerf, goodness gracious. Um, but at the same time, being able to uh, decide that as a parent, I think is a really good question for a play specialist um, and, and working that out. And then there is a place it's school for saying we don't have, you know, guns here. We don't have that kind of toy here, but also mindfully building what toys we have available in the classroom um, to know that children can use these different toys to play out and be able to understand the world around them too. So yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. So sand trays are another form of therapy that is related to play therapy. And again, there's people who are certified and are specialists in these things. And there's also just therapists who have taken some classes and have a basic understanding of how sand trays work and utilize it in their practice. And so I have sand trays in my practice. It usually involves wet sand and dry sand. And there's all kinds of symbolic toys uh, that children can utilize in the sand. And it is such a fun thing. If you look up, you can totally go down a rabbit hole of sand trays <laughs> um, and what they represent. Um, there's a lot of just like dream interpretation, a lot of different beliefs in whether you can interpret them or whether you should just kind of let them be and let children uh, do and work out what they want in the sand. Um, but it's pretty fun, pretty fun to see what kids will come up with. Um, and they like to, it's another place of ownership for them too. So when I do a sand tray with kids, they get to take a picture and then they get to keep because you have to destroy the sand tray because someone else needs to use it, right? Same thing. That's really hard for kids when we have to destroy what they have built. 
Uh, and that is true at home with Legos at my house. I know that if I have yep. to put something away, that is crushing, mm-hmm. soul level crushing for children. And so we want to be mindful about moving into their space and how we go about that. Oh, goodness. It's a really loud time at the Gaimans right now. Um, but yeah, I think, um, so giving them a picture of it is some, a way that I help them have control in that situation, that they get to keep that part of it. And that was something they created. And then I offer for it to stay in my file, you know, they can, or they can take it home or both. Um, and so that's, uh, that's sand tray therapy. There's a lot of uh, dragon toys and mythical creatures, and as well as like mom and dad and police toys and um, fences and uh, frogs and any kind of creature that you can imagine um, available in, in different tools. And so sand tray is a really cool way that, especially older kids, I think, that have maybe outgrown the play therapy room a little bit. Um, you can extend play therapy, if you will, I found by offering sand trays, uh, because it just still feels cool to play in the sand, no matter what age you are. Um, and there are some sensory benefits to that too, having them, the experience of sand on your fingers and things like that in itself, uh, occupational therapists will tell you that is really helpful when we have different sensory things going on in our systems, uh, just another therapeutic method. So Santry is one of my favorite things. I could keep going. Do you guys have some specific questions? Do you ever use kinetic sand? Oh in- boy. <laughs> There's a whole belief system in uh, within therapy about what kind of sand to use, like playground sand or kinetic sand. Um, and it usually actually has more to do with the cleanup factors than it has to do with which right. is more valuable for therapy. I find that kinetic sand is more painful as far as cleanup goes. Um, and there are rules. I should say that there's always boundaries in play therapy and always boundaries in sand trays. And so one of the rules is it has to stay in the bucket. <laughs> like we're not <laughs> throwing sand. Uh, you know, someone who's angry can pretend like they're, you know, shoveling some sand out of the thing, but all the sand needs to stay in the bucket or there are some limits and we might close that tray and do something else today. And so boundaries are always important for kids. When we talk about play therapy and when we talk about play in general, it's okay to put some boundaries on that play, um, but offering the freedom where we can. And so, yeah, totally up to anyone what kind of sand they want to use. I don't know what you're (laughs) going to find. It is someone else's play therapy office. Uh, There is some different basic uh, uh, theories and understandings of the color of the sand tray and things like that to be reflective so that it's a holistic experience for kids. That's probably too much for Mental Health Monday. But like I said, you can always look some stuff up online. It's pretty fascinating stuff. And I think it just really reminds us that God made our bodies to heal. And that means he also made our minds and our hearts to heal in different ways. And he is really wildly creative with what he's given us, the resources that he's given us to offer that to children as well as adults. Well, thanks for the insights into what uh, play therapy can look like for Mental Health Monday today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.